Welcome to Startup Nation Voices, a podcast of Startup Nation Mentorship and the World Jewish Congress. Startup Nation Mentorship pairs extraordinary college student leaders with top Israeli industry and government mentors, enable students to develop meaningful, lasting relationships with Israelis who are in the center of the dynamic global economy and hub of innovation. In Voices, we bring on top Israeli and international leaders to share a deeper look into their industry and personal background, exploring the importance of mentorship and partnership with Israel. Hi, my name is Danica, and I just graduated from UCLA. I'm the CEO of SUNM. I'm co-hosting this episode with Danny Springer, former CEO and board member of SUNM, joining us from the McGill University campus. Today, we have invited Hyman Israeli, the CEO of Triple Plus, an innovative water technologies firm headquartered in Israel with subsidiaries around the globe. Prior to working on water leak mitigation solutions, such as Wazen's, Hyman spent 20 years in the Israeli Defense Forces military intelligence wing Hyman, thank you so much for being with us today. We have a few questions lined up for you. So firstly, can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to launch a career in water conservation? What characterizes the water technology industry in Israel? And what Wazens brings to Israeli households and other customers? Well, thank you for for having me. Actually, I'm motivated by the understanding of the vital role water plays in ecosystems and human life, um, coupled with uh, a commitment to finding innovating solutions to water-related challenges. Israel is actually renowned for its expertise in uh, water technology, particularly in areas of water conservation, desalination, and even irrigation. Our country has faced water scarcity challenges in the past years and has responded with advanced technological solutions. Uh, Israel, the water industry is characterized by cutting-edge innovations, research, and the efficient use of water resources. Companies in this sector here in Israel often collaborate with research institutes and government bodies to address water-related issues. Uh, Watson is a technological company. It is located in Yokneam. It's a city in the north of Israel. Uh, we use our own developed algorithms to ensure that whoever installs our product will never suffer from water leaks at home, apartment buildings, or even factories. And in that essence, I can focus on three elements that can emphasize what Watson's bring to the table. The first one is reducing water costs. By installing a Watson system, it makes the property water infrastructure smart. Uh, having Watson's on board is enabling effectively monitoring and managing uh, water economy, identifying irregularity and uncontrolled consumption, and even detect hidden leaks. And this is how the customer uh, will save water costs uh, for the property, private home and apartment building. Uh, we have we have some uh, ongoing uh, experiments that we did in the in, in the past five years, and Mark and proven that Watson system deliver up to 55% in water savings for the institutional and public sector. We've made many, many pilots in schools, kindergarten, and just by scheduling our um, uh, water system 
which is very smart, you can come up to this percentage. Um, the, tech, the second element I would like to emphasize is that Watson's introduced solutions that make uh, in any water infrastructure smart. It's, it's a very fast and easy installation. It, it's powered by innovative technologies, analytic tools, and uh, our own algorithms, as I said before. And uh, we have advanced sensors and all, all, this, all this unique system going through the mobile app, which is very unique. It's, it's ours. By the way, last, last week we launched a new app and uh, we ensure that you as a customer are protected 24 seven. Protected, I mean, protected from major water damages uh, while you're enjoying full control and monitoring your water consumption. The third element is, is, is regarding the insurance. In Israel, we work with the majority of the insurance companies. So if you have installed a smart Watson system, in case you have any water damage, you avoid the insurance company claims. An arduous and exhausting process, which is, and if you're eligible for compensation, even then the amount that the insurance company will give you is not always covering the real extent of the damage, only adding to your headache, obviously. Often following an event, in addition to the deductible, an insurance company will raise your premium. And with Watson's, you just prevent the premium from increasing in the event of water damages. So this is the ecosystem of uh, why it's into water and, and, and what is Watson's doing in that particular area. Okay, well, excuse me. Um, amazing. And I do find that work very inspiring in such a water-scarce area of the world. Um, um, <clears throat> and, um, and so I wanted to switch gears and maybe um, ask you a little bit more about specifically the context of working in Israel um, and how uh, the Israeli work culture differs from the rest of the world and how does it enable this unique innovation atmosphere um, that you work in? So if you could just touch on that a little bit, uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, sure. So Israel has a unique work culture that has contributed to its reputation as the startup nation uh, and, a hub of, and a hub for innovation. So several factors distinguish the Israeli work culture from that of many other countries. I can just sum up a few of them. Israel has a strong entrepreneurial spirit, uh, deeply ingrained in its culture. The society encourages uh, risk-taking and failure is often seen as a valuable learning experience rather than a setback. Uh, this fosters a culture where individuals are, are more willing to take risks and, and in pursuing innovative ideas. Um, obviously, the military service uh, has some influence on that, and many Israelis undergo a compulsory military service. So, and the IDF, the Israel Defense Force, particularly values in innovation and adaptability. So the skills and mindset developed during military service can often carry over into the business world, fostering a culture of resourcefulness and, and problem solving. Um, the Israeli are quite well known for informality and, and, and direct communication. So the Israeli workplace is known for its informality. Hierarchy is less rigid and the communication tends to be very direct and straightforward. This open communication style uh, facilitates collaboration and, and the free flow of, of, of ideas. Um, another element is, is giving Israel a relatively small domestic market. Uh, companies often have a, a global outlook from 
their inception. So this global perspective encourages businesses to develop products and services with international markets in mind, fostering a competitive edge and, and, and promoting innovation. And obviously, the Israeli government actively supports research and development uh, through grants, incentives, and, and a favorable regularity environment. And this support has played a crucial role in the growth of innovative industries, including technology and biotechnology during the years. Um, I, I, I think I can even touch the networking and, and community, even though it, 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 it comes from the army, but the close-knit nature of the Israeli businesses community facilitates networking and collaboration. There's a sense of community with individuals often willing to share knowledge and experiences, which can lead to valuable partnership and mentorship opportunities. So that's that's some the uh, the answer to your question. Beautiful. And you touched a little bit on your time in the IDF. Um, so I'd love to dig deeper into your experience. Um, what's your biggest takeaway from your 20 years of serving in the Israeli intelligence unit? Um, how does it inform your life perspective today? Okay, I'm, I'm not much of a talker about the experience I had in, in the army, but I, I, I can sure relate your um, questions. I, I will try to be much more fluent and widened, but it'll be short. So uh, military service can 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 have a profound influence on individual, shaping their skills, mindset, and, and values. My list of takeaways that attribute to military service are obviously leadership skills, teamwork, adaptability, uh, discipline and time management, problem solving and strategic thinking, sense of duty and commitment, and obviously global, uh, global perspective. It's important yet to note that the impact of military service can vary widely among individuals and not everyone will share the same takeaways. Additionally, the nature of military service, including roles within intelligence units, can significantly influence the skills and perspective developed during that time. But going back to the list of values that I just mentioned, I think the, the list itself, especially focusing on leadership, teamwork, and discipline, is something that I, I, I had maybe, I, I might have had it before, but during the army, I was very strengthened with that. And this is what I carry on uh, to the civilian life, such as this, trying to adapt. Okay, amazing. Thank you. Um, we want to, I guess I'll start off by saying that our viewership, a lot of our viewership are students and students are seeing what's going on on campus right now. I think the news um, is very pertinent in our lives right now. Um, and so I was wondering, in light of uh, the shattering terrorist attacks of October 7th, um, committed by Hamas, and the aftermath of those attacks with the outbreak of the Israel-Gaza war, um, we believe our viewers would be interested in, in Israeli perspective, particularly one informed by your breadth of experience in the IDF. So um, we were wondering if you could summarize how you view the situation um, and Israel's response to it. Well, again, everything that uh, touches any military background, I'll try to be very specific and, 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 and try to answer your question. Let's, let's talk about the facts and only the facts. So Israel withdraw from Gaza in 2005 
there is no doubt that a deep, wide, and uh, non-compromised investigation will take place among Israel's government and its decision makers, led to what actually happened on, on October the 7th. There are more than 1,400 Israelis murdered, slaughtered, raped, beheaded, and, and above 240 kidnapped Israeli people, elders, men and women, kids and babies. The Israeli army will do whatever they can to bring them back home. You can see in the past three days that some kind of a deal between us and the terrorists is actually going on. Um, yet, and unlike Hamas terrorists, we are giving the people of Gaza many opportunities to move to the southern of the Strip so we can face those terrorists. We will not rest until our hostages will be back home. I can assure that we will not lay down our weapons until all Hamas terrorists will be eliminated. We have the obligation to take care of our own people, regardless of what the world actually thinks. This is our response. This is our response. We cannot do anything else. Exactly. Thank you, Hyman. Um, and can you tell us more, like in light of this situation, how the Israeli public is responding? Sure. Um, the people of Israel unite all around the country, supporting the families of those whose, whose life was, was completely ruined, um, aiding our soldiers with basic products, field showers, and even uh, greeting cards from school students and, and pupils to raise their morals. Uh, supporting farmers whose employees ran out of the country. Actually, uh, Watson's volunteered two weeks ago in, in, a, in an agricultural field. We planted strawberries. It is not something that we are uh, doing uh, every day, but we do it for free because it's, it's our duty today as a society. Uh, our soul may be uh, scarred, but we will are, we're all unified to win. This is how the Israeli society is, is reacting. It, we react, we are unified, and we're here to win, and we'll do whatever we can to win. Yeah, I think, I think it's um, what we're seeing right now is such a beautiful example of uh, really the classic Israeli resistance and resilience. So um, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, and then, uh, like I mentioned, a lot of our viewership are students on campus. So um, as our program aims to reach college students, how do you, how do you view the global response um, by students to the Israel-Gaza war on campus? What is the perspective that students are missing um, from from your experience, and maybe the things that you're seeing that are reaching you? Um, yeah, wh what do you think? What do you think the students are missing on campus, and and do you think that their response is correct, uh, or do you think that it's misinformed in any way? Yeah, it's a great question. But again, let's let's stick to, to the facts and let's start with sharing facts. As I said before, in 2005, Israel withdrew from the Strip of Gaza in what is known as the disengagement from Gaza. The initiative involved uh, the, the evacuation of Israeli settlements and the withdrawal of Israeli military forces from the Gaza Strip. After the withdrawal, uh, the Palestinian Authority assumed control of the Gaza Strip. However, in 2007, just two years after, following an internal Palestinian conflict, the militant terrorist group Hamas took control of Gaza, leading to a political and territorial division between the West Bank, controlled by the Palestinian Authority, and Gaza, controlled by Hamas. When Hamas took over, they murdered hundreds of Palestinian civilians. They still do. 
They even killed many Palestinian Authority members. Many of them were pushed from, from building rooftops. There is no argument that Hamas equals to ISIS. I think the world can see it now today very clearly. We saw it from 2007, even though from 2005, we were hoping for peace. We stood aside. We took everything from Gaza Strip to our country. Um, Israel had two crossings uh, from Gaza to help the Gazans with commodity projects used to enter the Strip. Moreover, these crossings were also used to allow Gazans to uh, go to the Israeli hospitals in order to get medical treatment in Israel. Israel gave water and electricity to the Gaza Strip. Israel, unfortunately, was, was very naive. I think Israel will never be naive again. Um, and, and I would also, also like to express that we are done explaining our, our, our right to exist. So having all these, all these facts, which students should, should know, should conquer that the, the fact that we withdraw from Gaza, it was our decision to withdraw from Gaza. We gave them the strip to live. They could live a very prosperous life. They chose not to do that. They chose Hamas. It's a terrorist organization. They saw Hamas killing civilians. They said nothing. The world said nothing. So we have only one privilege, is that to exist. And we will do whatever we can. I think we will stop being naive in the future. Obviously, this event occurred on, on, on October the 7th, will awaken a lot of people in Israel, including myself. We owe our people the uh, chance to live. That's the bottom line. And if any other students uh, would like to share some other facts, he's welcome. These are the facts. We withdraw. We went back. We gave them all the opportunities to live. We opened two crossings. We helped them, you know, how, how many people from, from, uh, from, from villages around the uh, border, like Kibbutz Be'eri, like Kibbutz Niroz, where the people were slaughtered, helped Gazan, picked them up in the crossings, drove them to hospitals, then drove them back. It's hilarious what happened. We actually believe in peace. We handed over everything we could. They chose not to do it. Yeah. Um, so in many academic and liberal corridors, particularly across our campuses in the United States, Canada, and the UK, it's become really commonplace for Israel to be condemned for ethnic cleansing, colonialism, apartheid, and even genocide. Uh, what is your view on these labels and how might they be misrepresentative of Israel? Well, I think it's crucial to approach these labels with a, a nuanced understanding of the historical, political, and social uh, complexities of, of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. However, let's focus on one population who isn't protesting against Israel. Israel is a home for two million Arab citizens, Arab Israelis with equal rights as the Jewish Israelis. Israeli Arabs are in major positions such as uh, parliament members, journalists, hospital managers, Supreme Court judges, athletes, and, and many, many more. There are many Israeli Arabs serving in the Israeli Defense Forces. I urge you all to listen to one of them. His name is Yosef Haddad. 
He's an Arab. He's an Israeli Arab. He was a soldier in the Israeli Defense Forces. He was wounded during his service time. He's, he's a non-official spokesman. But listen to him. He's an Israeli Arab. He doesn't use those terms of uh, colonialism and apartheid and, or, or no genocide. That's absurd. This population is something that we should look for. We look for to listen to. And Yosef Haddad is, I, I, I advise students that, that think that Israeli uh, people or the, or, or the Israeli government uh, are, are acting like uh, uh, with, with apartheid and colonialism and stuff like that. Listen to Israeli Arabs that li- lives among us with equal rights. The Palestinians had, had so many opportunities to have their own state um, as a fact. Let's, let's, let's just review a timeline. Milestones ended with no Palestinian motivation to aid the conflict. We had the Madrid talks in uh, 1991 till 1993. We had the Oslo talks from 93 to 2001, ended in, 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 in the Oslo agreement. We have the Ten David in 2000. We have Israeli-Palestinian talks in 2007, 2008, if I, if I remember correctly. We had the direct talks in 2010. We had another direct talks in just 10 years ago, in 2013. And we had the Trump plan. None of them, none of them contributes to the, to the willing of the Palestinians to have their own country, to end the conflict. Israel did whatever it can, whatever they can, whatever we could to enter these conversations, these talks, freely. The other side didn't pick it up. The money was on the floor. I would, I don't know if, if, if you know the, the, the quotes that I, I, I wrote it down. Uh, with your permission, I'm going to read them because there were there were historical uh, so back so back in, in in history. Golda Meir said, one of uh, our, our prime minister, that peace will come when the Arabs, meaning the Palestinians, will love the children more than they hate us. Try to understand the essence of that. They should they should love their children much more than we than they hate us. What is the meaningful? What is the meaning of that? That's terrible. And another quote is, is when the Palestinians lower down their weapons, there will be peace. But if Israel will lower down their weapons, there will be no Israel. I think that summarized the conflict, summarized the situation between us and the Palestinians. We would like to have a normal life, prosperity living for our people. We hope the other side. The other side, living just in, in, in borders next to us, will share the same thoughts. Up until it will happen, we, we, we will do whatever we can to exist. And we don't, we don't listen to what the world is saying, because we need to, to defend our country, to defend our people, and we will do whatever we can to do that. Um. Well, wow, we just want to thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us. Um, and I mean, our, our hearts go out to you. Uh, this is not an easy time. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us and talk to us about about um, all your thoughts. Um, we also want to uh, to end this off. We want to thank 
you and all of our listeners um, to, for tuning in to Startup Nation Voices. Um, and we look forward to um, bringing you the next episode soon. Um, so thank you so much.